We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we're here looking at week six around the AFC East. And so we kick things off in the basement of the division. And Chris, it's got it, it's still pretty fun to see the Patriots down there, isn't it? It is. And it's, uh, it's going to like give me a headache having to talk about the Patriots because we don't have a guest for the Patriots tonight. Our friend Christian Simonelli. Yeah, this is what happens when you're not a professional journalist. You know, actually this scenario gave me a lot of it gave me a lot of perspective. Think about think about it like this. Christian's just a working stiff like we are. Yeah. Okay. So occasionally you get called into work meetings. You have to you know you, you have to actually do something for a living. I think there's a reason all these professional journalists <laughs> we talk to are always available. It made me question, like, what do you guys actually do during the day? Yeah. The answer is probably a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. So Christian got pulled into a work meeting last minute, and then, uh, you know, we tried to get Ben Volan on. and <laughs> We tried to get Ben Volan on, but uh, considering the circumstances, I don't think he's up to our standard, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> so the New England Patriots beat the Browns 38-15. to You take a look at this game and what comes out of it. What I love is that the Bailey Zappi hype bus has officially left the station. I think it morphed into a train. It, it, it might be a hype train by this point. Uh, it, it, Bailey Zappi has his first 300-yard game of his career. Mac Jones only has three. Like, I want to underscore that. Mac Jones only has. Remember how much everyone talked him up last year? Yeah. Like, oh, Mac Jones, he's actually doing really well. He's the best rookie quarterback. In retrospect, 
is it almost insulting to the rest of the class to be like, Mac Jones has been the best out of all of you? Like, that's not exactly flattering, is it? Yeah. Bailey Zappi has his first 300-yard game. The defense shows up. Everything goes well for them. You look at the Bailey Zappi thing, though, I think it overshadows everything that went on up there. Eight of nine on throws of 10 or more air yards, one touchdown and zero picks. Wasn't perfect, but sparked a passing attack that was went from being one of the NFL's worst to 300 air yards. And basically, what, 500 plus, almost 600 over the course of two games? So you look at that and you go, okay, you have two quarterbacks on your roster who are very young, and yet in this environment that you've created, which to the outside eye seems kind of laughable with uh, you got a special teams coach coaching a quarterback, you've got a... Uh, defensive guy, coach calling offensive plays. Like somehow inside this, they've found a way to make it work. Then you look at the other side of the ball. They've had their second strong game from their defense in a row, four sacks, four takeaways, and less than 20 points allowed. Now, here's the question I have for you, Chris. And for all of you out there, I think it's the thing that everyone needs to ask themselves about the Patriots' recent success. This is their most, they hold, they hold Nick Chubb to less than 60 yards. It's obvious they keyed the run. They said, listen, we are going to commit to stopping the run. We're not afraid of Jacoby Brissett. We have some things that we can do with our safeties in this game to stop or slow him down. The question you have to ask is, is Bill Belichick, quote unquote, back as a play caller? Or how much of this is him just exploiting quarterbacks that he has, by and large, owned? Like, both literally and figuratively. I well, mean, he owns Cleveland to begin with. Well, first, Yes. Which I think did he like curse that place like the movie Thinner when he left like a damn gypsy probably <laughs> so I mean he owns Cleveland so that's no surprise well, there why because he's a petty son of a bitch and they fired him you think he forgot about that no no so yes he owns Cleveland he also owns Jared Goff going back to that Super Bowl yeah then he owns J- he owns Jacoby Brissett. Probably because he goes, hey, we drafted him. I know exactly what this guy what this guy is and what he isn't. I coached him. He played for me. I know his strengths and his weaknesses maybe better than he does. I can bait him into things. <laughs> I I know what to do here. So he's had two strong games against two quarterbacks that he's kind of always had a thing for. Is that enough in your mind to declare that all of a sudden he knows what he's doing with this defense? No, you got to well you got to have the talent that's it to play your style of defense. I think that they're still lacking in terms of overall talent when it comes to the rest of the division. But they've got some things going for them. The running back stable is strong and I think it's helping these young quarterbacks get going. I mean, you look at last year how much heavy lifting the running backs did for Mac Jones. They're doing it again here with Bailey Zappi. Even without Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, 93 all-purpose yards, two touchdowns. That's a second-year player who's already producing like a seasoned NFL vet behind an NFL, behind an offensive line that isn't exactly dominant. Like they have at least that going for them. So you have all this, all these niceties coming out of New England, but then 
there comes all this controversy, and the whole conversation is utterly hilarious because usually, isn't it bad teams? Like, we saw these kind of fiascos with the New York Jets. Yes. We've seen these kind of fiascos with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, who else? When's the last time you saw something quite like what's going on with this? But with the national narrative that maybe isn't Bailey Zappi versus Mac Jones? Like, when's the last time you saw something quite like this happen? Rob Johnson, Doug Flutie. And was that team good-ish? They were... They could get to the playoffs. <laughs> Do anything in the playoffs, that's a different story. Based on who's playing quarterback. So... This becomes my favorite narrative of the entire week, mostly because I hate the Patriots, and also because it's hilarious when people with the check mark next to their name look like a horse's ass. It's the best. So the story starts building earlier this week after after Bailey Zappi's great game, and the fan base is going crazy, and you know you start to see these tweets last week about oh you know but you heard Belichick get asked in a post game press conference about. You know, did, will you go back to Mac Jones? And he basically treated it like I think anyone would. Like, oh, my first-round pick or my rookie fourth-rounder? No, I'll take the guy who got me to the playoffs. And he just kind of laughed like, we're, 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 we're working on it. You shut the fuck up. Don't ask me anything like that again. He probably then went to his, like, KGB, because you know the Patriots have one. Mm-hmm. Like, doesn't, in terms of a uh, head coach slash GM, doesn't, Bill Belichick strike you as like a more of a Putin than a than like a Bill Clinton, yeah, or like a, like a George W. Like he just seems like the KGB type. So when he comes back and he says, uh, "Yeah," he blows that question off, treats it like it's nothing, and then this game happens, and all of a sudden this narrative starts to be built that there's problems in house. It didn't just stay on a local level. This thing ballooned out of control. I mean, this is Albert Breer. Chris, Albert Breer, respected NFL journalist. Yes, I hear him like once a week on Cowherd. This is Albert Breer talking about the Bailey Zappi Mac Jones situation. I think a big part of this is who Mac is, right? Mac is a big why guy. Like, he wants to know why... You're doing something. Why are we running this? Why am I being coached this way? Why is this person being hired? Why are you handling my injury this way? And New England's never been a big why place. You know, he was really close with Josh McDaniels. And obviously, Josh got a lot out of him. And I think Mac had a ton of respect for the job that Mac, the, the, Mac had a ton of respect for the job that Josh did in developing him. This is obviously all very important to him, the way it is to any quarterback. And he knows how important the year one to year two transition is, how much growth there can be. And so I think a big part of it for him was, wait a second, why are you hiring a defensive defensive coach as my offensive coordinator? Why are you hiring a special teams coach as my quarterback's coach? Wait, why are we running a different offense now? Why are we doing things differently? I had a lot of success last year. Why aren't we building on what we did last year? Why, 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 right? With all the change and everything else in New England, there was some natural friction there. And so that was the background. And then there was disagreement over the handling of his injury and whether or not he should get surgery. They wanted him to get the tightrope. Then this is initially after he first got hurt uh, with a high ankle sprain. It was thought to be a pretty severe high ankle sprain. So he's seen like, he's seen guys go through this. And he thought, I'm going to be better off just rehabbing the injury 
And there was some level of disagreement there. Now, because the high ankle sprain didn't wind up being quite as severe as, as initially thought, it wound up being less of an issue because now he's probably going to be able to get back within the time frame that the surgery would have put him back on the field. But there was some level of disagreement on that too. I think Max getting his job back. I think that there's a little bit of a, a lesson being taught here where it's, look, we're putting a fourth round rookie from Western Kentucky out there. Look what happens when he does what we tell him to. How about it? So, so this is Albert Breer. Now you respect Albert Breer. You think he's, by and large, knowledgeable about what goes on. He is well-respected amongst NFL media. Okay. So he probably, maybe he has some sources. Maybe he knows some things. He should know some people. So He might be A1A when it comes to the Patriots. Okay. He's like their number one respected reporter. And you can see where maybe some of what he's talking about is true. Like you, a guy like that who has a reputation like he has probably wouldn't just make that stuff up for headlines, right? Correct. He's not a clickbait artist. So it's, but but you can see a world where that exists, can't you? Think about what you didn't. I just get done telling you that <laughs> Belichick has like a KGB vibe, KGB KGB yeah. vibe to him. It's. I don't doubt that he doesn't – he wouldn't take favorably being questioned by a kid a third of his age with none of his Super Bowl rings or NFL success. So I could see where a lot of what he's talking about is true. If this kid's like, listen, I want, I want answers as to why I'm doing it. I'm not just going to blindly follow this. I can understand why some people might get rankled about him. Then comes Ben Volin with this report, quote-unquote, that there's – legitimate friction between Mac Jones and the franchise and that the building doesn't like him and that there's stuff going on there and it sets the world on fire. <laughs> and so I reach out to Mark Schofield this morning and I say, Mark Schofield, friend of the show, I know you to be a reputable guy and you're, you're kind of plugged into some people in the media there. In your professional opinion, is this story, this, this, uh, Mac questioning the franchise's decisions from coaching to what it's creating real friction. Is this real or is it a media thing? And he responds with, it's all media driven. And then probably about four hours later, he gets back to me with a link to a barstool sports story where it says <laughs> it apparently it's even worse than media driven. Apparently it's completely fan driven. Ben Volan's report, which spawned a lot of other conversation, was whole, was wholly based on the DMs of a apparently a Barstool sports fan who just made up a story and DM'd it to Ben Volan and then sent uh, Feidelberg from Barstool Sports pictures, screenshots of his DMs to, Bre to Ben Volan. Said, buddy works over at uh, Gillette selling season ticket packages. He heard they went with Hoyer over Zappi against Green Bay to appease Mac, whose camp made it very clear that he didn't want Zappi to jump in. Thought I'd pass along so the haters get off your back. And he responded. <laughs> and he responded. Now, when you say hashtag haters to a professional journalist, like if I ever spoke like that to a real professional, I would expect them to flush that message straight down the toilet. <laughs> Instead, Ben Volan goes, interesting, appreciate the tip. So obviously this makes this guy feel emboldened to 
Oh, apparently he's he's taken the bait. So he says, no problem, man. It's clear as day Mac has an attitude problem, and even folks in the building see it daily. <laughs> so then Ben Volen goes out of his way to weave this narrative based off of nothing. Straight out of thin air. So then this morning, you have Jason McCourty, former Patriot safety. He's on Good Morning Football, and they ask him about it, and he's like, I don't I don't know what you guys are talking about. I was just at a charity function last night with Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones. We were all having a good time. There is zero friction here. I don't know what you guys are talking about. And the whole thing goes tits up. <laughs> this is... The, Chris, th- this might be like we're petty. Yeah. We are petty guys. This might be just as good as the playoff game last year. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It really is. Because this is how I know that you're a bad team. You're so bad that your local journalists are so starved for anything that they can talk about. Because, Chris, usually if you want, like if you know how clickbait works. You say something bad, like Jerry Sullivan pioneered this. You say something bad about a football team, you you see Skip Bayless do it, you see Stephen A. Smith do it. I say something hyperbolic, usually negative, about a sports team and watch everybody who follows said team flock to it, right? Well, unfortunately, like, talking positively about the Patriots has worked for a decade and all of a sudden it's not working because fans know that what they're seeing isn't good. So (laughs) he turns around and decides, well, I know what I'll do. We'll go negative. Well, guess what? Fans are negative, too. (laughs) Fans have been negative. Listen to Simonelli on this show for weeks now. Fans aren't positive. Smart ones, anyway. So then you got to figure out, how can I get those guys? How can I get, oh, I know, a scandal? And you jump at the first thing you can. Do you remember, like, think about here locally, like uh, Harrington, Mike Harrington with the Buffalo News. That guy's a pussy. He's he is something. There, there's these guys who exist here locally who don't like podcasters and don't like bloggers because the thing and the thing that they'll always point to is well they're not in the building they don't have credentials they don't have they don't have real access so the things that they're talking about you know they're, they're in their mom's basement. Look at me now, Ben Volen. I'm in I'm in Chris's basement. I am in Chris's basement right now. But when I want to know what's going on inside an NFL building. I text a real NFL football player. <laughs> I, I have I have the phone numbers of three of them. How hilarious is that? That we might actually have a better line on what's going on inside of an NFL franchise than Ben Volen. Can you imagine how this is going to end? I can't wait for it. It's, I can't wait to sit back and watch. I can't wait to watch this, like, see this unfold more so than whatever the hell happens to them in their next game. Like this is the this is my favorite thing for the New England Patriots this season. It's the best. I mean, they're going to go play the Bears. So what? Their third dog shit team in a row. It's a Monday night game, standalone game. <sighs> and so that puts that J- puts even more focus on it. And then they play the Jets. Man, I mean, it, their schedule is slowly softening. But the team playing the way they are, they probably do well enough to beat some more shitty football teams. So they might be creep. The AFC East is quietly becoming one of the better divisions in the AFC, wouldn't you say? Correct. God. You love to see it. You also hate to see it. Ben Volen, I give you my best. Cheers, brother.
And that brings us to third place in the AFC East, which surprisingly is the three and three Miami Dolphins who lost to the Vikings 24 to 16 and here to just walk us through what the hell happened this weekend. Mr. Elf Artiaga. Elf, you had a tweet. And I've I'm literally I'm I I couldn't believe it when I looked at it. You detailed one of the drives for the Miami Dolphins, and the it starts at first and fifteen with the ball at the Minnesota twenty nine, and then after it's just Skylar Thompson under center, and somehow one two three four five six seven after an eight play drive. Your team went from Minnesota's 29 to Minnesota's 42, punting the ball back to them for a touchback, which basically netted you four yards from where the original line of scrimmage started in that sequence from the 29 first and 15. Is that one just scenario there pretty much a synopsis for what went on the entire day? It was, it was, that was, I've never seen that before. And look, I've watched a lot of football. I'm older than most people. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm 47. So I remember a lot of the, the heyday of what the Dolphins and, and the Bills used to do in the 90s. And I've watched a lot of football. And it's not just the Dolphins. I watch all the teams. I try to get, I try to watch all the condensed versions of, like if Atlanta and, and I don't know, Detroit are playing a game on a Sunday. I make sure to watch the condensed version, so I'm kind of informed when I talk about it. I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> we had a quarterback have 78 yards passing on a drive, and we had to punt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that's possible, but somehow it's it's possible that you reach the three-yard line, the nine-yard line, the six-yard line on independent plays, but you end up hunting from your own 42 like I, I don't know how that's possible but we managed to pull it off yeah. i guess when you have five consecutive penalties that <laughs> moves you from the three yard line back to your own to the 42 yeah uh i guess that's what happens you See, know and that's but, the and but I, hey what a, what a great sequence of plays man well, high powered offense well this is it and you go what the hell is happening here because if you're like me an outsider who didn't go back and watch the game Right? I'm like, I don't have time. I'm moving. I'm unpacking boxes. Let's go, let's go look at the box score. Now, if you, if like Chris were to come over here and hold his hand over the top of the screen so I couldn't see what the score was, what the final, and I just looked at the box statistics, you guys dominated so many aspects of this game. 229 more passing yards, uh, a 224 total yardage advantage. You guys were only, what, outrushed by five yards, which for the Dolphins, which you guys haven't been a strong rushing team, that's surprising, considering that's all the Vikings have. You had double the number of, well, double the third down conversion percentage, more than double the number of Vikings total first downs. You guys had 23 in the game. They had 11. Chris, we watched the Bills-Chiefs game, and both teams had, like, drives where they would convert two, three, four times per drive. The Vikings managed 11 total first downs for the entire game. And you guys had an 11-minute time of possession advantage. Normally, I see and that. There's, even one, there's one more. There's one more you, you missed. What? The Dolphins forced 11 three-and-outs. 
<laughs> and so when you see something and at like one point seven in a row, oh, no, I'm sorry, at one point five in a row, that's ridiculous. So when I hear that, I think to myself, oh, well, obviously the Dolphins must have just mopped these guys up and blown them off the map. How the hell do you lose that game outperforming a team like that? Very, very carefully. You try <laughs> to turn it over at the worst possible time in every moment of the game, including the decisive moment at the end of the game. And I said this on Twitter, and look, I'm not going to blame the, the young man. He had a horrible game. I understand that the box score says that Jalen Waddle had six catches for 129 yards. Uh, that was not a good game. Uh, he popped up a pass that hit him in, in the hands earlier in the game that went for an interception in our territory that ended up uh, costing the team a touchdown. Uh, that was one of um, Minnesota's touchdowns. By the way, they had Minnesota, if you took away the 48-yard catch and run by Justin Jefferson and the run by Dalvin Cook, they managed 118 yards of total offense. 118 yards. So they, they made most of their offense on those two plays. And at the end of the game, I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, after all of this, we're actually going right down the field to win this game. And I'm thinking to myself, this is something. We're actually going to win this thing. Uh, Tyreek makes another great play. And then here comes on third and 18, Teddy Bridgewater throws an absolute strike to Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle makes a guy miss. It looks like he might even score with it from that point. He gets stripped, fumble, and that's the game right there. So three turnovers and penalties. But I, I, would, I would lay it at the feet of the turnovers. Those three turnovers were at the worst possible times I mean, in that game. <clears throat> so the so the game script and the way it played out, obviously, like like I said, it's <laughs> you look at the statistics and then you look at the score, and you realize that it was just it's the it's if, if there's an opposite of being clutch, the Miami Dolphins were it pretty much most of the game on Sunday. It was like, hey, we we're here. We need one play. Let's not only not get the play, let's also shoot ourselves in the leg like Cheddar Bob in the process. Like, let's let's not only not complete the pass, let's actually complete the pass for a first down, but also commit a holding. Because <laughs> we don't we don't just want to take it off the field. Like, we, we don't just want to drop the ball and call it, okay, we didn't move the ball. We actually want to move backwards. <clears throat> it's one of the things that I look at then when it comes to this is just composure issues in all three phases of the game, which so far seems kind of in the early goings of this season, your team seemed highly composed, seemed like they had their shit together. When you put them down by 17 points against Baltimore, there was composure. There was calm. There was, Hey, we can rally back from this. We just need to go execute. Stop making mistakes. Let's get everything together and let's go get this done. And you found ways to steady the ship in every single game where for four straight quarters, you guys executed what you had to across all three units. I mean, if I'm looking at this, I go on defense, Holland. Holland is a known quantity in the NFL in just his second year. He's a very good NFL safety. Very good. He misses his tackling assignment badly on that long touchdown run by Delvin Cook. And then earlier, yep, he blew that one. Yeah, just blew it. Jason Sanders was a pro bowler two years ago. Second straight game with a missed field goal. And it's like, OK, so in a game where points are at a premium and we're obviously making a lot of mistakes, we can't have that one. 
because you're literally taking points off like you personally are holding us off the board. Then you look at the offensive line, six sacks allowed, which is crazy. Greg Little with a 1.9 pass block grade, which PFF grades, whatever they are, him and Robert Hunt just hemorrhaged negative plays. Three sacks, 12 combined pressures. <laughs> we have a long-running joke here with NFL draft analyst uh, uh, Brown. Chris, his name? Russ. Russ Brown. Russ Brown, cover one draft analyst. When it comes to Greg Little, because I made, I asked him the question, why did Greg Little, you know, he was talked about as being a top 10 pick. How come now he's being talked about like a day two prospect? And he exploded. He's just like, the guy's not that fucking good. And sure enough, his NFL career has kind of played out that way. He started the season really hot for you. And then in this game, just like a black hole, not only did he suck, but he seemed to suck everybody else around him straight to hell. You guys are going to get your starting quarterback back. It seems like he's on, to is on pace to come back, which obviously has a lot of your fan base excited. But I don't know, this execution issue across multiple phases of football, Tua can't fix all of that. So, I mean, you don't think his return alone is enough to right the ship and correct everything that went wrong this past Sunday, do you? No, uh, but what can is a little bit of health, and Teron Armstead is returning uh, for Sunday night. And more importantly, and, and I said this, and you know, a lot of people didn't pick up on this, but I said this in the podcast, and I said it on OnlyFans as soon as it happened. I said, look, I, I spoke to some people on the team, and and this was after the Jet game. I spoke to some people on the team, and they feel as if you know maybe Teron Armstead is going to need a week off here. But the one that they're really concerned about, as far as the way that they play, is the injury to Durham Smythe. Uh, he hurt his hamstring against the Jets, and he missed the Vikings game. Without him, and I understand Mike Gusecki had a big game, and yeah, he had a good game, and he, he actually had a couple of blocks that were notable. But you know what Mike Gusecki is? He doesn't block. He's, <laughs> he's a pass receiving tight end. He blocks like Chris uh, would with, block at an NFL level. <laughs> yeah. So without that, you know, you have no blocking tight end. And you could see it. And that's something. Durham Smythe, for a lot of Tua Tungvaloa's success this season, has been kind of like a sixth op- offensive lineman, you know? And right off of the hip of, of Greg Little, usually. And, yeah, it's absolutely right. Um, every time that Teron Armstead has left the field, and, and this is this was the full game that he missed. He missed half of the Jet game. Uh, but the Jet game, he missed it because he had that, that tape issue with his with his toe. And then I guess they decided, you know what, we're just going to hold him out the second half. Uh, bad idea. Um, against the Vikings, it was it was open season. And it was open season because now they moved Greg Little to left tackle. They had Hunter Long in Durham Smythe's role. And I can tell you, look, it's I think it's I don't, I'm not I'm not one of these people that like to you know throw away a young player early. I think we might be done with with Hunter Long. He looks good in uniform, but he just can't play football. So you know, I, I think their their issues on the offensive line were started with Teron Armstead being out and ended with Greg Little being absolutely horrible. And you could trace it. And there's a reason why you they kind of liked Greg Little as like the swing tackle if he was pressed into action. He had a great game against the the Ravens. And then he had a good game against the, the Bills. Against the Bills, he broke his fingers. And ever since then, he's been absolutely awful. 
And I never thought I would say this, but Austin Jackson returns next week. Can't wait to, to see him back in the lineup. <laughs> we actually made the same joke the other uh, about a week ago about Bobby Hart. I was like, hey, guys, isn't it great Bobby Hart's back? Now I have to go brush my teeth after saying that out loud. <sighs> so the Dolphins are 3-3, three and three, third place in the division. You've got a win over the Buffalo Bills. You've got a loss to the Jets, who are... What, what do you make, right? Because I have my opinion. We're about to talk to somebody else about theirs <laughs> who covers the team. Your opinion, because it seems like it's going to be, and the Patriots are a nice story, I guess, which is actually kind of nice. It's nice that there's three of us here getting to have a conversation about what our season still is. And there's a team up in New England that's just, I don't know, they're just kind of happy to still be here. They're pumped that they're, you know, <laughs> they have a quarterback controversy they're going to have to work through. It's going to be a lot of fun. So for the three of our teams, when you're looking at the Jets, is this for real? Because obviously there's been shade thrown by the national media. There's some of us who believe that it's not sustainable. But the the defensive statistics, I don't know, against decent-looking teams, how do you think they factor into what we thought was just going to be a two-horse race this year in the AFC East? I think the Jets, uh, they're going to play spoiler. Um, You know, I felt that they had a a lot of good young talent. And if you look at them, they have that look that the Dolphins had two years ago. Which was a team that had a lot of like talent on the surface, but once you scratched the surface, there was nothing beneath it. Uh, if you watch the Jets, and I've watched them playing, and I saw I saw the entire uh, Packers game, I, I rewatched it because I, I I wanted to know how the hell did the Packers lose at home by so much. And you look at it, and it's it's they're really powered by a run game and and a good defense. That's enough to like threaten a lot of playoff teams. And I think they're going to be competitive. Uh, now nah, they're going to make the playoffs. No, and I don't care who. The, uh, look, I'll lay odds <laughs> if somebody wants. If somebody wants to take take my action, I'll lay the odds. But can they win eight or nine games? Absolutely. And if they win eight or nine games, they're no pushover for anybody. You know, mm. are they going to beat the Bills once? Probably not. Can they beat Miami at the end of the season? Absolutely not. But can they really, really hurt somebody else's chances in the AFC? And are they on the come up for next year? Absolutely. But it's gonna come down it's gonna come down to that quarterback. That quarterback hasn't played well yet. So, you know, until he does, then they're not for real going forward. But they they have a lot of talent. Like there's a lot of talent on that team. Well, you guys have a lot to talk about this week. You guys got the return of your quarterback. You've got more shuffling in the secondary with Nick Needham going out for the season. There's a ton of stuff going on. Our friend Hassan Patel, I saw he was tweeting about uh, it looks like he now works, doesn't work for Five Reasons Sports, which I'm a big fan of that kid. I like him. He seems like a decent guy. So I <laughs> I like that you guys are kind of working together over there. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find all of your work as Tua makes his return and your honest coverage of his return and where they can find you on social media? Uh, they can find me on social media at Alf underscore Artiaga. And of course, you can find all our stuff at, on Twitter at the number three yards per carry. And of course our podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, anywhere you can get your podcasts, check it out, check it out on iTunes. We iTunes. We also have uh, the extra yard, which is also on our, on our feed, which has Alex Dono, who's a local radio personality and Troy Stratford. I don't know if you remember him, but he was a great running back for the Miami dolphins for a little while. So check that out as well. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. folks the heater it's burning we're all burning up over here as the jets just won their third game in a row beating the packers not just beating dominating the green bay packers 27 to 10 and now sitting in second place in the afc east you know just like we all knew they were gonna be at the beginning of the season is the new york jets and to talk to us about it mr scott mason scott this is rarefied air for you guys isn't it I need a commercial for American Express with Robert Sala, Quinnen Williams, Brees Hall, and Sauce Gardner talking about how they're a professional football team, but since they haven't gotten to the playoffs in 12 years, they go everywhere and nobody knows who they are. (laughs) (laughs) A little major league reference there for you in case anybody didn't know that one since you were playing Penn and Fever. It, you guys are on a heater. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you got to keep that winning streak going to keep this song being played when we have you on. This might be the most <laughs> improbable. Scott, I never thought that I would be sitting here having a conversation with you. Now, at the beginning of the year, we all looked back at the AFC East and we said, obviously, the Bills are the class of the division. Maybe the Dolphins, you know, their fans seem really excited. Dolphins Twitter's really volatile. Like right now, they all want to kill each other and maybe themselves. Um, I mean, <laughs> I was about to say something really mean. Um, you've got, you know, we figured the Jets would be improved. We all knew the Patriots were going to backslide. The thing that nobody left out there, none of us, was the fact that in week seven, While the Buffalo Bills sit here on their bye, there exists a reality where, with a a win on the road in Denver, the Jets could be in first place in the AFC East over a 5-1, a one-loss Bills team. This isn't a reality that even you could have thought would ever exist, right? Well... It's a really (laughs) – it's weird because if I would have told anybody that the Jets were winning these games and Zach Wilson 
was throwing for – look, if I would have told you before this game, Drew, that Zach Wilson would throw for 110 yards and zero touchdowns and the Jets would win by 17 points at Lambeau Field, you would have said, oh, come on, no way. That must mean that Aaron Rodgers isn't playing or he's playing with a broken arm or something like that. So they're winning, but you know how many times did we talk about this, Drew? The way the 49ers – we're winning games with Jimmy Garoppolo predominantly. What the Seattle Seahawks did with Russell Wilson when he first came on the scene and Marshawn Lynch, that's what the Jets are doing. Strong defense, pound the ball in the running game. The passing game is there just to sort of make plays when it has to. Now, the issue, of course, is going to be when you play teams like the Bills, you're not going to win a game like that. You're not going to be competitive in a game like that. We've seen this. But... It's one of those, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Keep rolling with it for now. Well, the biggest, I the biggest thing I see, anybody- like you just hit the nail on the head, though, because it, like in this game, and we'll get to it in a second, because it really was the story of Sunday's game. And I'll tell you exactly how I saw it all unfold as a non-Jets fan. But when I look at what, when I look at your guys' success this season, what I see is a quarterback in Zach Wilson, who he's obviously not making some of the glaring mistakes that he made last year. But when you look deeper into the game, when he he still got issues. Like when you, and maybe it's part part of it's schematic. I think the team maybe needs to do a little bit better to try to help him out, because when he's pressured, he is one of the worst quarterbacks in football. Uh, when he's kept clean, his completion percentage is seventy three point one percent. If you put him under pressure, his completion percentage is seventeen point four, and he has no touchdowns and two interceptions. Now compare that to Josh Allen, who if you blitz Josh Allen, you do so at your own detriment because he'll hang touchdowns on you. If if there's because you have to commit extra people. And the second you give him an in, you need perfect coverage or he will buy time with his legs and find that extra guy. Jones isn't quite there yet, where his athleticism is translated to buying him the time to let his arm talent find an open receiver or a quality one-on-one downfield. And you're watching that play out where as long as your team is keeping defenses honest and keeping them from blitzing and keeping them from putting pressure on him, your offense stays on schedule. And that's what we saw in this game. And I won't lie to you. I went to the bathroom. (laughs) I'm unpacking my new house. I'm still trying to get moved in. I wasn't watching any of the one o'clock games. And so I finally said, you know, I got something to eat. I'm like, I'm going to go take, uh, you know, I'm going to go take the Browns to the Super Bowl. And I'm sitting there and I'm scrolling my phone on Pro Football Talk just to get all the headlines. And I see that at halftime, the Jets are tied 3-3 three to three with the Packers. And my first question was, they paid these guys for this? Like, is, are these guys actually getting paid for 3-3? Three to three? So then I finish all my stuff for the day. And I have to go back to my old house to move some final stuff out, take the garbage out before I turn the keys over and everything else. Have a, have a couple beers with my old neighbor just to say goodbye, you know, but... I go over to his house now, it's it's probably about 3.30, and you guys are just stomping a mud hole in these guys. And what I'm watching, with my own two eyes, is I'm watching Brees Hall rip off yard after yard after yard, breaking tackles, just making open field cuts and making people look silly trying to tackle him. You guys ran it at will. And the thing I kept thinking was, this reminds me of exactly how they looked the last time I saw them be successful. You go back to the late 20 aughts. You guys had this relentless rushing attack. You had a suffocating defense. 
you're seeing this play out. Now, first question, was that game, a, like, was that kind of like, hey, this is proof of concept that investing these high draft picks in a running back group was a smart idea for this football team? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I also think that what they've done, and, and my co-founder at playlikeajet.com, Chris Walker, and I have talked about this a lot. What they've done now is sort of set themselves up so that if the doomsday scenario happens and Zach Wilson doesn't turn out to be the quarterback they hoped, they can plug in a middle-of-the-pack kind of quarterback and still be a competitive football team week in, week out. The way that the 49ers have done with Jimmy Garoppolo, because obviously the whole reason they drafted Trey Lance is because they realized Jimmy Garoppolo is a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. You can win with him, but you're not going to win because of him. So they took that swing with Trey Lance because they felt like with the team that they have, if they had a top 10 quarterback, they could be a, a legitimate problem uh, you know, on a year-in, year-out basis as far as Super Bowl contention. Well, that's really what this, what this is now with the Jets. They've built a team that if you were to plug in a Ryan Tannehill, a Jimmy Garoppolo, somebody like that, you could be a playoff team year in, year out. Uh, theoretically going forward if these guys continue to stay healthy and play well. The the big question is going to be, is Zach Wilson the difference-making quarterback? Because if he is, and and this roster continues to to come into shape, uh, and like you said, be proof of concept, right? And they can do more than just rely on Brees Hall and have Zach Wilson carefully manage the game and not do much, but step up when he has to, right? If he becomes... Like we talked about, you know, everybody can look at Russell Wilson now, but if you look at Russell Wilson when he really hit his stride year two, year three in Seattle, if he can become anything close to that kind of quarterback, a guy that can really make plays regularly with the rest of what they've built here, all of a sudden now the Jets are in the position that they were in 2009-2010, except they might even be in a better position than they were back then because back then – you know, 09, they got to the AFC Championship game, but that was sort of a fluke, right? 2010, they got to the AFC Championship game. They beat the, the Patriots. But what held them back was Mark Sanchez just really was never that good and never developed, right? So they were a team that was always going to be in the mix, but they couldn't get over the hump because the quarterback just wasn't good enough to get them over the hump. That's going to be the question with Zach Wilson. Is he going to be Mark Sanchez or can he be more than that? Or is he somewhere in the middle? That, I think, is what's going to determine – whether or not the Jets can be a legitimate, you know, 1B to the Bills 1A over the next bunch of years, or whether they're just a team that is frisky or spicy or whatever adjective you want to use to describe them and and has this young talent and you know are competitive on a week in, week out basis and maybe competing for the playoffs. That that's really what we're we're looking at here. What is Zach Wilson, right? And we've seen through three weeks, in that first game, he didn't do much the first three quarters. Then he had two really good drives. Then, uh, in the home, uh, then in the home game that he had uh, against the Dolphins, it was sort of a manage the game. He had one really nice throw to Corey Davis. Other than that, not much. This past game against the Packers, he did next to nothing except for one throw to Corey Davis again. So that's the question. But they are an interesting team. If nothing else, they're not boring and they don't suck. And I will take that right now. And look. They, this is going to be interesting, Drew, because 
I don't think anybody thought and, – and look, we don't know for sure. But if the Jets and Patriots both win this week, which could happen, it's by no means a given, but it could happen. Think about what that sets up. The Patriots versus the Jets, 4-3 and three Patriots, 5-2 and two Jets, MetLife Stadium. All of a sudden, the AFC East is interesting in a way that nobody expected because I think everybody thought Bills have the division. Dolphins might be sort of like frisky there and, and, and maybe on the edges – battling the Bills, the Jets and the Patriots, eh, maybe they'll win six, seven, possibly eight games if they're lucky. They, 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 you know, We'll see what happens. Belichick's great and the Jets have some young talent. But now the Jets and Patriots could be in a position where, you know, two weeks after, uh, a week after that, if the Jets get by the Bills, you could be sitting, uh, you, know, you could have a situation where the Jets and Bills are playing for first place at that point, which is insane. Now, again, we're a long way away from that, but even having this conversation now after six games is something that I don't think most Jets fans ever would have anticipated. No, no, not at all. And it's, I think to your point, you guys are playing a style of football that supports your strengths. I mean, I'm looking at this because your defense, your offense running the ball is one thing, like running up the score is eye popping. But in this last one, it's this surging defense of yours. Quinn and Williams yeah. isn't getting enough love, but he's having the best season of his entire career, and that's saying something. You, Can the, I just throw something in there about Quinn and Williams real quick? Sure. So, first of all, I would just like to say, anybody that knows me knows, I stood on a freaking mountaintop. Me and Joe Blewett and Luke Grant and Chris Walker and my buddy Clayton Smarslock, we stood on a mountaintop together screaming for Quinn and Williams for months and months and months when everybody said, you can't pick an interior defensive lineman. They don't really make a difference. Blah, 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 blah. And thankfully, knock on wood, so far, Quinn Williams is making us look very good right now. The other thing is, you do realize that the Bills came very, very close to trading up to get Quinn Williams on draft day. Could you imagine how scary the Bills would be right now if they had Quinn Williams? I mean, it would have saved us a lot of money in free agency this year, I can tell you that. <laughs> the way that I know Quinn Williams is having a good season isn't just his own statistical jumps. It's the fact that C.J. Mosley finally looks like a real NFL linebacker again. This last game, he <laughs> looked every single bit like the player you guys paid for in free agency, what, three years ago? Back in 2019? Mm-hmm. He he looked the part. And then you compare that to Sauce Gardner, rookie phenom cornerback, oh who you guys took, and people go, oh, that's too early for... Sa-. He has one reception for six yards in 40 snaps of man coverage, according to next-gen stats. That's the fewest yards allowed among 62 cornerbacks. So a kid who has six games, six games in the NFL, is already better at the hardest thing to do in the NFL in terms of coverage, which is man hip pocket coverage. Then 62 people, most of whom have been doing this for a long time. That's incredible. Drew, Drew I got to be honest with you. It really is remarkable. Like, look, I, you know, again, myself, Joe Blewett, uh, Kyle, your friend Kyle Smith, my friend Kyle Smith, um, Luke Grant, guys like that, uh, my friend Chris Walker, we all, uh, Kayla Pace, we all stood on a mountaintop screaming for sauce. Kayla and I were screaming for him. In like November of last year, we were saying he was the best cornerback in the country, right? But even Kayla and I and Joe and all them, we all thought he was going to be really, really good. And and it, and maybe down the line, one of the best. 
I don't think any of us believed he would be this good this fast. I've never seen anything like this at cornerback before, man. Like, this is a guy six games into his career, and Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks of all time, and I know he had a hand problem and all that, but he had no answers for this kid. Every time he tried to target him, Sauce just made it look so easy. Even on the one play where it looked like he was going to complete a pass, Sauce kind of like very easily sauntered over there and just knocked the ball out. He's playing at a level that I've never seen a rookie cornerback play at this quickly. Even Darrell Revis is as great as he is, and you could make the case that if he's not the best cornerback of all time, he's certainly in the discussion. Revis was not this good this fast. It took him a year or so to really get to the level that he eventually got to with Revis Island and all that. It's incredible how good this guy is this fast. And I mean, look, the Jets right now have the two – and look, this is, there's 11 games left, so this could easily change. They have the two guys that are the odds-on favorite to win Rookie of the Year defensively and offensively with Reese Hall and Sauce Gardner, which is just phenomenal. I mean, it's it's so much fun to see this. And it's, it's funny too because like I feel like guys like Tariq Woolen, who's been tremendous – even Stingley's been pretty good. Uh, your guy, Kyra Elam, who I just found out, by the way, is Jets legend Abram Elam's son. I didn't know that. Yep. But Kyra Elam has been very good for the Bills this year. But Sauce has just been on a level that I haven't seen from, as you said, a guy playing the position that is the hardest position to play and, and do the hardest thing that there is to do, going man-to-man with guys like Tyreek Hill, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jalen Waddle and look that that battle with him and DJ Reed against Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs in a couple of weeks is going to be something. If you're a football fan, I don't care what team you root for. That is going to be a clash of the Titans. And, and if you're a football fan, that's something you're going to want to watch, whether you watch the game or not. You'll want to dissect the all 22 of that, because I think that's going to be so much fun. Our local radio station here does a bit where there's like a 70-year-old man named Howard who picks the bills after every single game. <laughs> and they go down the schedule and they go, okay, based on your knee-jerk reaction now, pick the bills. And as fans and content creators, I know that we all catch ourselves doing something similar for our teams. You know, ahead of the season, we look at the schedule, look at, hey, based on what we think we know about this team, what games will look winnable, which ones look dicey, and which ones are probably a pick em. It was really easy to take a look at the Jets' schedule two months ago and pencil in nine to ten losses. But right now, the way your team is playing and the fact that this the defense is on fire, your rushing attack has stabilized your offense. You're imp- like that outlook for you guys from where we were at the beginning of the season is improving week over week. And so, obviously, you guys go into a big game against the Broncos this weekend. I wish I could mm-hmm. root for you because I like you. But I also like the Buffalo Bills being in first place in the AFC East. And I don't want to see that in anytime soon. So unfortunately, I have to root sure. against you. And you get the Patriots. Two weeks, two wins over the next few weeks could see the Bills and Jets playing for first place in the AFC East. Didn't have that on my 2022 uh, NFL season bingo card. I can't wait to watch this play out. I'm sure you guys are going to have a ton of great content between now and then. Why don't you tell of our listeners where they can go to find it? For sure. And by the way, I would just like to take the opportunity to say this again because I know I've said it many times. But listen, for Bills fans, if they want to dig up my old tweets or whatever <laughs> it is, fine. I Look, I, I threw in the towel on Josh Allen about two years ago 
I was dead wrong. I wasn't the only one, by the way. We Many, many of us were, including you, Drew. We all thought it was a mistake when they took him. And he has turned out to be – I look, there's going to be lots of fights about this. I still think Mahomes is probably the best quarterback. If you want to say, Allen, I'm not going to fight you on it. But he's either number one or number two at this point in the league. And it's incredible. And you guys should, should be very, very happy that, that you, you've got a guy that – you know, he's 26 years old and he's he's just unbelievable. The things he can do, almost nobody else can do. So, you know, look, like you said, I, I in the reverse of what you said, I don't I would prefer that the Jets didn't have to face Josh Allen two times a year and didn't have to play in the same division as Josh Allen. But kudos to, to you guys for, you know, having him and, and being able to watch him blossom and and really, you know, just dominate the NFL for probably the next decade or so. Uh, as far as the content that we've got going on, like you said, we're gonna we have plenty of it. Uh, the post game reports have been a lot of fun lately. Knock on wood. Hopefully that continues. Uh, well, Andy Vasquez from NJ.com always joins me right after the game. We we talk about everything that happened. He takes us inside the locker room, updates us on the injuries, all that stuff. And then this past week was awesome. The Brian Bassett and his guys Josh Conrad and Travis Milton they flew out to. Green Bay for the game and they recorded their show this week in the car on the way back from the stadium to their hotel after the game so it was raw emotion and it was awesome like they were talking about how I think they got sexual uh, uh, Josh and this is ironic Josh is a pastor so it's really funny I think he got sexually harassed by a couple of female Packer fans I think they might have even like smacked him on the butt a bunch of times. It's really weird what they do out there in Green Bay. I don't know. I don't know what Bill's Mafia does. I don't. I don't think that happens at MetLife Stadium. But yeah, it, it was wild. So that that show was a ton of fun. We did. We have a mailbag. Kayla Pace, the queen of Play Like a Jet, she comes on. We answer questions. Luke Grant, the Thunder from Down Under, the All Twenty Two breakdown is going to be fantastic this week. He was already texting me. He's making videos of Quentin Williams and Sauce and all those guys. So we're going to talk about that. We do the pregame report with Chris Nimbley, the very big deal who covers the Jets for Jets Insider. We go through the last-minute news and notes, and we talk, of course, about uh, prop bets. And then Walter Cherpinski from WalterFootball.com comes on, and he football betting. So he's a guy that he makes picks for us every week. And trust me, you want to listen to those because Walter's made a ton of money gambling and Obviously, if he's giving you those picks, he's using them himself. And then, obviously, uh, we, we do news throughout the week, too. So Robbie Sabo from Jets X Factor comes on, and we do that. So lots of that content. Like I said, videos on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash play like a jet. Uh, we've got the Quinn and Williams video that should be up by the time you hear this, and there's going to be a ton of other ones. So watch and subscribe. We've got our store at tpublic.com, teepublic.com. Uh, our, the podcast is anywhere that you can get podcasts. I'm on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And like you said, Drew, the Broncos are coming up. They have a great defense. I know the offense is struggling. We don't know about Russell Wilson yet, whether he's going to play. On paper, this should be a, a game that, you know, the Jets, three wins in a row, the Broncos struggling, should be winnable. But it's the NFL, anything can happen. I by no means do I think that this is going to be an easy game at all. So I'm looking forward to this one. And it's funny. I, it's been a long time since every week. I truly have looked forward to watching this team. But the Broncos are on the schedule in a couple of days. And as uh, Karrion Cross 
the former NXT champ and current WWE superstar would say, TikTok. Only two guests tonight. Scott Mason, Alf Arciaga. They're like fire and ice. Ice Train and Scott Norton. Okay. Let me guess. They wore blue and red pants. They didn't wear pants. They wore those. Uh, <laughs> no, they wore, what, singlets? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Scott, Nor- Scott Norton was the uh, world's heaviest cruiserweight. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that enough? Like, cruiserweights are what? That's like the lightest weight division. Yeah, 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 he was like 300 pounds, but whenever you watched him on Nitro, he was just always fighting cruiserweights <laughs> and just throwing them around the ring. That reminds me of the time, WrestleMania 3, where uh, uh, Hillbilly Jim and uh, George, I think it was King Kong Bundy. King Kong Bundy and Hacksaw Jim, uh, no, Hillbilly Jim had a tag team match with midgets against each other. Mm-hmm. And the match ended because King Kong Bundy frog splashed one of the midgets and then everyone turned on him, even his own midgets. <laughs> and that's the, like, that's all I'm picturing when you say a 300-pound cruiserweight. Yeah, he's just like a heavyweight that always fought uh, cruiserweights. Funny thing is, though, my mom was interested in, like, buying this house via, like, a short sale. Mm-hmm. And so... I went with her to kind of like walk through this this house with the people that owned it. And this guy answered the door who's like, this guy fucking went to the gym. Older guy. You were like, this guy fucking goes to the gym. And I'm like looking at him. And I'm like, this guy looks familiar as shit. And I can't figure it out. And then we go into like some back bedroom that wasn't a bedroom it just had all of his paraphernalia that he's collected over the years being a professional wrestler and it was scott norton's house that i was in <laughs> you're such a dork you're like oh my yeah, god i was like scott oh yeah i walked into this room and there's all this wrestling shit all everywhere i'm like oh you're scott norton now I know who you are. I'm literally Googling a picture of this. Of Scott Norton? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fire and Ice. Ice Train and Scott Norton. <laughs> he's huge. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's a big, fat dude in a singlet. Yeah. Jesus. Scott Flash Norton. Flash? They called him Flash? He was 300 pounds? Yeah. That's, that almost seems mean. Guys, we're here talking about the Buffalo Bills, who, for the time being, entering their bye week, are on top of the AFC East, where they belong, beating the Chiefs 24 to 20. Now, obviously, if you haven't already, go back and check out our other podcasts from the week. You've got our, uh, obviously, our recap of the Bills-Chiefs game. Then you have our our podcast where we talked about the book Spies on the Sideline with Kevin Bryant. Uh, it's 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 a really interesting interview. It's it's something a little different than what we usually do, which I always find fun because it's new, it's fresh, it's something new and. It's hey, what do you want us? To, what topical. do you want us to do on the bye week? Break down X's and O's. Yeah, no, I'll leave that to the nerds over at Covered One. <laughs> nerds. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine sitting around sober, watching a monitor with like a like a tele like a telestrator? Drawing with a pen. I mean, for, that would be two fun. hours. Yeah, them and for them, them Ken McCusick, uh John Madden, 
Although John Madden, he had to be drinking when he was doing that, wasn't he? He had to have been. Had to have been. There's no, there's no way you dr- think back to some of John Madden's like highlights towards the end of his career. There's no way you do that sober. I remember a conversation where he was talking to L. Michaels, and L. Michaels was like, "Oh, so what do you think, John?" And John comes back, and no joke, I watched. I was watching this on Sunday Night Football. He goes, "Did you know that?" He's like, "Blue and blue and yellow make green, right? You know that." Blue mm-hmm. and yellow make red. And L. Michael shoots him this look like, what the hell are you talking about? And he goes, during the thing, I, d- during the break, I got some mustard on my tie. And it's a blue tie, and this is yellow mustard. And when I tried to rub it out, the spot turned red. So obviously blue and yellow make red. And L. Michaels looked back at the camera with a look that I, I could only picture, like, someone who's being held hostage having on their face. It was an incredible. That's like that's the type of X's and O's breakdown I want to do. So if we're talking about it right here, the Buffalo Bills for the AFC's roundup. How wild is it that right now the biggest threat to catch Buffalo in the division isn't the one that spent more than any other NFL team on its defensive backs? They really fell off after they won the uh, NFL championship in September. And it's not the one coached by a guy with more than half a dozen Super Bowl rings. It's a bunch of chumps from Jersey. The AFC is wild this season. And yet, with their own, with their win on Sunday, the Bills sit atop the conference as the first five-win football team. So, we're looking ahead to a bye week, meaning teams will have an opportunity to make up ground. I mean, the Jets have the aforementioned soft schedule. And thanks to their win over Miami, would pass the Buffalo Bills for a week should they continue their hot streak and actually win in Denver this weekend. So now that almost every team in the AFC has a third of their schedule under their belt, like I feel like we've been given a decent enough sample of size from every team in terms of who they are this year and versus who we thought they were going to be back in August that we can start to, I don't know, we can start to rank and tier people. Do you remember the days, Chris, where it looked like the whole AFC was loading up for a Super Bowl run? Yeah. I can recall sitting here on this podcast, lamenting over a 12-pack of Montucky cold snacks here in the studio. The idea that the year that Buffalo finally gets pegged as a favorite to go all the way to the Super Bowl is the year that the entire AFC juices its rosters. I mean, I I remember most of it. I shouldn't say I remember (laughs) I don't remember all of them. It gets a little hazy. But it really does seem like such a distant memory because it hasn't worked out that way whatsoever. And so I want to just take a rundown here as we head into our bye week of the contenders who are looking more like pretenders and the dark horses that are left lurking around out there as you look at the AFC picture. I want to talk about the teams that we all thought were going to be jockeying with the Buffalo Bills, starting with the Bengals. For a team that has so much firepower... Their offensive line makes any sort of consistent production hard to come by. They're tied for third in the NFL in sacks allowed with 22, which is more than double the number of sacks the Bills have taken through six weeks. They do have a softening schedule, but they're also finding out that, think back to the 2020 Bills. They shocked everybody with how explosive their offense was. The 2021 Buffalo Bills, they kind of got parked on their ass a little bit, especially out of the gate. 
because teams have started to employ the same strategies that slowed down Buffalo to shut down the explosive downfield passing game of the, of the Bengals. And what you're finding out is that when you take that away, they don't really have a lot in between. They don't have good pass-catching tight ends. They don't have, they've got one running back who can be relied on to do much of anything on a consistent basis. And Mixon isn't, Mixon is not a household name at running back, is he? No. And you've got weaknesses across the line that basically say, listen, you don't have time to wait for these guys like Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase to win downfield. And it magnifies the weaknesses that you have there. The Bengals are in trouble. Similarly, the team that they're, they're tied with, the Ravens, the Ravens' favorites to win the AFC North a few months ago, right now, they look, they look bad and it's getting worse by the minute. They have no back-to-back wins this season. A John, uh, a John Harbaugh coach team has no back-to-back wins through six weeks. They've blown leads of 17, 17, and 10. It's the first time in franchise history. What about the 21-point lead? Was it? Well, technically it was 17. 21. But so at one point it was 21 in the game. Yes. But, so 17, 21, and 10, that makes it worse. They've squandered three double-digit leads for the first time in, in the franchise's history in the same season. Their offensive line is collecting injuries and racking up just ridiculous focus and concentration penalties. You look at the thing that basically lost them the game against the Giants, which sounds stupid to say out loud. The Ravens got beat by the New York Giants and Daniel Jones. Ronnie Stanley gets flagged for an illegal formation penalty, which takes a third down conversion off the board. And then Lamar throws a pick on the very next play when they have to redo the down. Ronnie Stanley's supposed to be the best guy in your offensive line. He's either been unavailable or just not good. Now you've lost to the Giants, and everyone's going, we'll be okay as long as MVP Lamar comes back. Also saying the the team needs to make a trade, or we got to do something to find ourselves on offense. The reality is, is you're not coached well and your depth is too young to really know what they're supposed to be doing. It's why you're pissing away close games when the, the games that you, you're leading and that you should be winning handily. How about them Chargers? Did you watch that Monday Night Football game? Did you uh, see no, any of the end? No. What was I doing Monday? Monday was watching hockey. Hockey started. So why would I watch Monday Night Football? Okay. Unless the Bills were on. I was feeling a little under the weather. I was sick. Starting to get a cold. So I'm kind of in and out. I'm like, I'll work on some podcast prep, but eventually I'm just tired. And I kind of put the laptop down and I say, okay, I'm just going to watch this football game. And I I start watching it and Russell Wilson is on fire to start the game. 10 for 10, 100 something yards, 10 point lead. And then I fall asleep. And I wake up in, like, the middle of the third quarter, and they're talking about Russell Wilson only has three completions for the rest of the game. And yet, at the same time, Justin Herbert can't can't wrestle the lead away from this guy? I thought this kid was good. Well, he lacks weapons and offensive line. Well, and do He you, lost his left tackle for the season. And do you know why that Keenan is? Keenan Allen, I don't think, is playing. Nope. And uh, Joey Bosa hasn't played since week three. Yeah. Herbert's playing through injured ribs. The Chargers are exactly where they've been for the last 10 years, if you think about it. 
They go into the season with one of the NFL's best, better rosters, and injuries just come in and absolutely rob them of the talent that's supposed to make a difference. Every single year, going back to when Phillip Rivers was playing out the string there. It's bad, and they're doing it again. And for being as talented as Herbert is, their offense doesn't produce points consistently. Who do you blame, the coach or the quarterback at this point? Because it's not, it's not Herbert who decides that, hey, there's 40 seconds left. Rather than trying to get closer to the end zone, I'm going to let the clock run out so I can try to throw a Hail Mary pass from like the 40-yard line. That's bad coaching. Like If there was a way for both of those teams, the Broncos and the Chargers, to lose that game on Monday, I, I, I think most of the NFL fans would, would have opted for that. And then you've got the Broncos. They're maybe the biggest joke of all. Yeah. Like, of all the teams that were supposed to be good, I mean, the Raiders were supposed to be good, and they have a worse record, but they're the Raiders. Does anybody, like, only assholes and delusional rappers think that the franchise is worth anything. Who do you ever see wearing Raiders gear? My Uncle Don. Yeah, and your Uncle Don's probably an ass, true or false? No, he's a great guy. He's a great guy? My cousin Kevin and my cousin Stevie. (sighs) Stevie Stevie Janowski? No. No. Stephen Riley, they well they lived in. If you want to get into it, they lived in Fredonia when I was a child. Became Raiders fans. Became Raiders. They're down fans. with the. They're down with the South California lifestyle. Because they like that LA style. The because they come up. They come up every November to go hunting in Fredonia, and mm-hmm. when my uncle was a. In before he was married, would hunt with Daryl LaMonica's family. So that's how he's a Raiders fan. <laughs> so you shot guns with the guy, so obviously you root for their team? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that tells me so much. Like That explains so much. Yeah. This idea, remember when Let Russ Cook was a thing? Yeah, he's overcooked. <laughs> It's become an embarrassment of a sentiment. It's hilarious that in a year where the, that team spent draft capital and cap space trying to, like, like basically saying, listen, we need a franchise quarterback and we think we have it for the next half decade, they're, they averaged the fewest points per game of the entire NFL. And if that wasn't bad enough, their head coach, former Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator Nate Hackett, it's fitting he went to the Broncos because he really is a horse's ass. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to explain how every single one of their six games has been within three points with under four minutes to play in the fourth quarter, and they they haven't won a single one of them. Or, like no, they have, they have two wins out of them, but it doesn't matter. Like, all of these teams that we thought had were positioned to challenge the Buffalo Bills in 2022 have roundly fallen on their faces and are in the process of just kind of sliding down that slippery slope. Then at the same time, you turn around and you look at the teams that are kind of sneaking up here with the Jets. I'm telling you, Chris, if Russell Wilson can't play, if he's not healthy enough on Sunday Night Football, with the way the Jets' defense is playing, there is a good chance, a very good chance, that the Jets win that game, okay, and then... They are in the driver's seat in our division. That's, that almost seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? 
It does. It's it's wild that they they would have the same that they would have a better record than or the same record as the Kansas City Chiefs. That's crazy. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Who else? The Tennessee Titans, a team that we mollywopped by thirty something points. Yeah, they're no good. They're three and two. They're, they're still no good. Here. Any uh, team in the AFC South, you're no good. Uh, the Colts, no good. The Colts are currently holding a wild card spot. Like, right. cool. What? So I guess the question is: Is it are the Bills that good that we make all of these teams look like schmucks? Yeah, <laughs> that's how this works. Like after watching that Kansas City game, I don't know how you look at any of these teams and go, "Oh, you're a legitimate threat to me." Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Give me the Broncos right now. Give me Tennessee. Give me Baltimore again. Give me the Chargers right now. What are we, seven-point favorites? Maybe maybe five. We'll call it five-point favorites at least. Four against what? If we were to go on the road to play the L.A. Chargers right now. Yeah, we'd probably be five-point favorites. We are eight-and-a-half-point favorites right now for Green Bay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot like last season where Vegas started off the season with Buffalo and Kansas City as the best teams in the AFC. And despite all the in-season adversity both teams ran into, when the smoke cleared, it was them standing alone as the clear-cut teams in the conference. And I can't imagine Kansas City ever getting shut out in a whole half of football again in the playoffs. So since he can go get bent. So everybody, just rest easy during the bye week. And know that no matter what happens while the Bills are cooling their heels, we are not only in fantastic shape in the conference, we're getting healthier as a football team and right now might be hitting one of the softest parts of our schedule, playing better football than we were week one. I can't wait to see it play out. I'm kind of happy for the week off. Chris, this has been a lot of fun, but for tonight, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your AFC's Roundup. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.